0: Welcome to the Leadership Window Podcast with Patrick Jinks. Each week, through a social sector lens, Patrick interviews leaders and experts and puts us in touch with trends and tips for leading effectively. Patrick is an LSI-certified leadership coach, a member of the Forbes Coaches Council, a best-selling author, award-winning photographer, and professional speaker. And now, here's Patrick hello everyone welcome to episode 18 of the leadership window i am patrick jinx leadership and strategy coach and president of the jinx perspective today i've got on a good friend oh michael and i have known each other i don't know 10 years ish 10 11 12 somewhere in there through our work with leadership systems uh you've heard from dr jim smith on this show before who uh, is head of leadership systems that's where i met michael but michael is uh, in his full time work is the founder and president of Peak Harvest Coaching, which is a leadership development and coaching firm that was founded on the idea. And I love this; we're going to talk a good bit about this today. It was founded on the idea of cultivating the soil of leadership. Isn't that a rich term? Uh, so, if your organization, uh, you know, is is reliant on good leadership. You got to ask yourself, do we have the nutrients? Do we have the environment necessary for leadership to actually grow? I love that too, because it's not static leadership. Leadership itself should be growing. Michael has been a coach to fortune 20 company executives and vice presidents, people in the C-suite. He brings over 35 years of leadership and entrepreneurial experience to bear as a coach, a mentor, and an advisor. Tons of strength in the areas of personal development, team building, strategic planning, which is uh, my wheelhouse. So I love to talk about that with him. He equips businesses and nonprofit leaders alike with the tools they need to achieve excellence in both work and life. And again, the the nutrients and the tools to cultivate the soil of leadership. Spent twenty eight years or so in uh, at the operations level at Lowe's. And uh, in that, he was instrumental in developing lots of things that Lowe's uses today in terms of uh, uh, strategies, logistics, things to yield maximum results for a big, big company. And uh, he was the guy that uh, executives would tap to sort of test new store operations, make them work, and it all rose and fell on leadership. So uh, he carries that same mindset of uh, effectiveness that he had at Lowe's into his coaching world today and uh, having invested uh, the majority of his career with a Fortune 500 company and starting multiple small businesses, not just Peak Harvest Coaching, but Michael has a breadth Of experience and success from which to draw, and we are going to talk about that today. So I'm excited, Michael. uh, Welcome to the show. We've been working on this for a little bit now, and glad it's finally happening. Good to good to see you and hear you.
1: Good morning, Patrick. Thank you for having me on this morning, and uh, I hope I can live up to that big billing you just gave me. So
0: well, yeah. uh, Thank you you for the intro. You've been living up to it. Why Why stop now, right? Uh, I, I, one of the things I'll tell everyone now, one of the things I really appreciate Michael, um, and, and I don't know, we, we, we haven't spent a ton of time together, but my, uh, my take on Michael's just his sort of calm confidence. There's just this calm demeanor about him. Um, just centered. Uh, Michael's just a very centered person and, and, I, and, and probably Michael, you're probably one of those people that appears very centered and low key and laid back, but not really. When it comes down to leadership, you've probably got your dynamics that have come into play for you throughout the years. But I appreciate your calmness because you kind of kind of settle and center center me a little bit. Have you ever been told that, by the way?
1: Oh, um, multiple times. I do come across <laughs> as very laid back and calm. Uh, but internally the wheels are running at about a hundred <laughs>
0: miles an hour. So. Yeah. Yeah. I bet. I bet. Well, listen, um, I, I love the term. I love the name of your business, peak harvest coaching. And I want to kind of touch on all those terms. I want to talk about the word peak. I want to talk about the word harvest. I definitely want to talk about the soil of leadership and work. And um, just uh, tell us a little bit about Peak Harvest Coaching, just and a little bit about your leadership journey to this place of coaching top executives in Fortune 20 companies and and in small businesses alike. And, um, you know, as a part of this, you might also want to include your work with John Maxwell because you are a John Maxwell coach and not. Um, you're, you you are not, um, the, the typical John Maxwell coach. Um, there's a lot of people on the team. You have a very unique place in the team that I'd love for you to tell our listeners about, but yeah, just tell us about a peak harvest and kind of how you've come to this point.
1: Well, as as you said, in the intro, intro, um, peak harvest coaching, is a leadership development and executive coaching business, Um, and we focus on business leaders and business owners and helping them in their leadership development and growth, but our ultimate goal is always to grow leaders that will grow leaders, and so it's this growth mindset that, that we have And it's critically important that we're growing ourselves, but we want to get to the point where we're not only growing ourselves and improving our own leadership skills, but we're transferring that to other potential future next generation leaders. And so again, our focus is to grow leaders that will grow leaders. So the, uh, Peak Harvest Coaching title. Uh, this uh, I'll try to give you a little background there. I was reading a book about 15 years ago called Visioneering, written by Andy Stanley. And I came across a part of the book where uh, Andy sta- stated that um, he was in high school at Tucker High School at a particular year And I realized that I was attending that same high school at the same time Andy was. Now I'm several years older than he is, but, uh, so I pulled out my senior high school annual and looked him up and found that Andy Stanley and I actually went to high school together. So that was a kind of a funny connection there. Wow. and so a few years later, I had a, a friend of mine at church that uh, was, I was having breakfast with and telling him about my leadership business and coaching. And he says, well, you need to meet a friend of mine. He's the, uh, he's the executive that oversees the uh, leadership development for IBM and i said well i definitely want to meet this individual that would be a great contact to have in this world and so i was introduced to a gentleman by the name of perry holly and perry and i sat down and had breakfast together and we were telling each other our stories and he says well where'd you grow up and i said well i grew up in tucker georgia and he said so did i and then he said well your last name is bryant uh, my hero in high school was Steve Bryant, and I said, "Well, that's my younger brother." <laughs> wow! And so Perry and I developed this great relationship. He's been speaking all over the world to IBMers about leadership and growing uh, personally and professionally. And so I, I just started thinking: here's two guys. Uh, that actually went to high school together. He said, uh, Andy and I actually hung out together a lot in high school because we both went to high school together and we went to the same church together. And my my dad worked for Andy's dad at First Baptist of Atlanta. So I just began thinking, all right, here's two very uh, successful leadership individuals in the leadership space. And I thought, so what was what was the environment what was uh why were these two individuals so successful and so centered around leadership and their ability to teach train and understand those leadership principles and so that led me to the thought process of you know most all living things on on this planet start out with a seed Mm -hmm. And so if, if from a plant standpoint, uh, a plant seed has to have water, it has to have light, and then it has to have the proper soil for that seed to grow and be healthy. And so I just started thinking, all right, what's the environment necessary for leadership to grow and develop and be uh, a leadership culture in an organization?
0: So this was your seed, these relationships that you just described and the sort of serendipitous way that they came together in your backgrounds and everything that, that planted the seed in you for the desire to, to, to take on this leadership bent and, and, and dig into it and share it with the world. Was that, was, is that what you're saying? That was sort of the seed for you?
1: Well, no, I've, I've had the seed. I I've been in leadership since my early twenties and, and, you know, as you mentioned, I grew, spent 28 years with Lowe's uh, moving up that corporate ladder and understanding when I went to work for Lowe's, they were a Southeastern building supply company, not a, mm. a major big box retailer that it is today. But I got to a witness, be a part of that transformation and change from a mid-sized Southeastern building supply company to to an international big box retailer that they are today and and so I've been in leadership but I it, the concept or principle for peak harvest was that uh, there must be an environment and there must be some sort of nutrients necessary for leadership to grow individually and organizationally
0: mm, mm, mm. So I, I want to understand. Are you, are you saying then that the the environment that the three of you sort of came up in there must have been something there, <laughs> like something in absolutely. the water, right? Okay, so yeah, that that absolutely. that makes good sense. Well, we were, we had um a couple of episodes ago, we had three uh, young ladies on who were co author of a book called Reactivate Your Life, and um one of the questions I ask all my podcast guests is. Who were the leaders in your early career that inspired you and helped shape your perspective on leadership? And one of them said, I'll never forget this. One of them said, uh, For me, it was leaders in my community, my circle of life, that to this day, I probably couldn't put a name to their faces. In fact, their faces are almost grayed out. It was those leaders that had an impact in my life in those small ways that later on you realize what an impact that was, you know, we think about teachers and just the, the, the neighbor. I, I re, as she said that, I remembered, uh, um, one of my sister's best friends when I was a little kid, I must've been in the first grade. And one of my sister's best friends, um, uh, her name was Kathy Kendall and she was a crossing guard. She was, young, she was a kid herself, but you know, older than me, probably third or fourth grade. And she used to help the kids cross the street, um, in front of the school. And I just thought, what a cool, Like, look at this. She's a kid, but to me, she was like a grown kid, even though she was probably only, you know, fourth or fifth grade. But I thought, what a leader, you know, what a, and I, I didn't know her. I never, I never had any interaction with her that I remember other than remembering that just those little things. And I think that might be what you're talking about is the, the environment. There's something that, um, you know, isn't, isn't it why these colleges who just, they're, they're, they're perennial greats. I mean, forever and ever, they're just always there. There's something in the water, right? There's something in the environment that makes a Duke university or UNC or, you know, Notre Dame, these, these classic winners who they are because they're, they're rotating their players every three, four years. So it can't just be, well, we just had a good team. You know, it's a, it's a soil of leadership. Is it not?
1: There's a culture of leadership, Mm. uh, there that, uh, is maintained. Although the, the faces, the players, uh, the staff, uh, change, um, but there's a culture of leadership in, in those winning organizations, those winning teams, those winning universities.
0: Mm. So what do you think are the components of that culture? we can speak about them in the analogy. We can say, well, it's soil and it's water and it's, you know, the right temperature and heat and it's patience and it's seasons. Those are the analogies. What are the actual components that make up? What are the tenets of leadership that make these universities or companies or teams perennially great? What is that culture consist of? Well, that's experience? a
1: great question. And, and there are many, um, uh, needs from a from a nutrient and environment but I've identified four or five that I thought we could talk about um, and maybe not even in depth but let's let's talk about the first the first thing that comes to mind for me to have an environment uh, where leadership can grow and develop is you have to have uh, good leadership role models you have to have that example in the organization uh, good leaders, are not going to be uh, multiplied in an organization if you had bad leadership at the top. And so you have to have somebody that's modeling that quality of good leadership Mm -hmm. that has all the the examples, all the principles that they operate with. Uh, And that's the first thing that you have to have in any uh, organization uh, to have an environment that's necessary for leadership to grow.
0: Michael, I love that. And the word that came to mind, as you were saying it is template, you know, it's almost like there's a template for what leadership looks like here in this company or, or on this team or in this organization that is, that is, that's excellent. Got to have the role model, some example that, and, and I, I agree. I think it has to be inside the team or inside the the organization. I don't think it can be someone that you can just point to outside and say, that's who we're trying to be. Like somebody has to model it on the ground.
1: Now, and all of us have learned from bad leaders that we've worked with in the past, mm-hmm. but uh, you're not going to have a culture of leadership, a culture of growing leaders. If you don't have good leadership as an example, mm,
0: that's rich. That's rich. What are the others?
1: So the se- the second, thing that comes to mind for me is, uh, and all of us have had this in our, in our careers or in our lifetime, uh, we have to have somebody that believes in us. And all of us have had that person that took us under their wing. They saw something inside us. They saw the potential in us, whether we knew it or saw it or not, there was somebody that saw that potential in us, believed in us and took us under their wing. And and helped us grow and mature uh, in that leadership role.
0: Mm, no, no doubt about. It. Boy, okay, I'm. This is this is. I'm loving this, and I'm sitting here to be honest with you. I'm going. I am stealing this stuff. Maybe for one of my YouTube episodes <laughs> or something, because uh, this is really good. Yeah, you got to have someone to believe in you, and when that happens, it's okay for that person to to be a little hard on you. You know, it's like, oh, it, that, that's why, that's why coaches, effective coaches can push and push and, and really be hard on it because that individual knows that the reason they're pushing the way they're pushing is they see the, but they know it's there and they're not going to let me settle for less. Would you agree?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and they're going to challenge you, uh, in ways other people won't because they believe in you and they're going to invest in you. Because nobody invests in something they don't believe in. Hmm. We don't take our money and invest it in something that we don't believe in. We're certainly not going to take our time, our expertise, unless we believe in somebody. And that's when we begin investing in someone.
0: Man, that's right. And I've talked to people who, who are inside, you know, maybe in middle management in their companies, and they're not getting that. And so it's almost like they sense it. They can kind of see the writing on the wall. Like my CEO doesn't, they're not investing in me. They, they don't really care that much about me. They must not believe in me. And so they actually start to underperform because they're giving themselves a narrative or their leader is giving them a silent narrative that shapes that shapes that confidence level and breaks it down. There's so many dimensions to that.
1: That's, that's a great point and a good uh, segue into another uh, key point. Um, we have to give people the freedom to fail. Uh, we have to put things on their plate that will challenge them so that they will step up and step out of their comfort zone. But we also have to give them the freedom to fail Because uh, let's face it, the first time we do something, the first time we take on a project, we're not going to do it as well as the person we're taking it from. Mm -hmm. And so we've got to understand that and give them the freedom to fail and not beat them up when they do not do it as well or that, that they drop the ball and use that as a teaching moment.
0: Or a coaching moment, as Jim would tell us, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah, uh, and you and I have both seen probably hundreds of times uh, the film by Dewitt Jones, the National Geographic photographer, talking about yeah. creativity. And one of the th- one of the tenets of his creativity is that you can't be afraid to make mistakes. And the fact that the average National Geographic article, at least at that time, I, I guess they're all using digital, but at, at that time of the filming, he they were using film in their cameras. And he talks about the fact that the average National Geographic article, not a magazine, but just an individual article, generally has about 30 images in it. And that to get those 30 images, the photog- the, the assignment photographer t- ends up taking about uh, 14,000 images to get right. the 30 that go into an article. And uh that that's that is an environment of you can't be afraid to make mistakes. So what you're saying is we've got to make sure that um we give our people plenty of film <laughs> and development opportunity to to uh get the right shots and and not beat them up when when that first shot isn't the perfect one.
1: Absolutely. And and use it as a growth opportunity, a teaching and coaching moment to help them grow and develop. Uh or the leader, the executive, um will hang on to all the roles and duties that they're afraid to let go of. And their people will become stifled because they see a leader that won't let go. And that's one of the big challenges. That's one of the common themes in my coaching with executives across the globe is coaching them on letting go.
0: Same here, Michael. Um, our uh, oh, I, I released uh, this morning uh, our, my latest YouTube channel is on, on, uh, a little model that, that I built with one of my coaches called the delegation triangle. And, and the idea is that the three points in the triangle are win, win, and win the person you're delegating to wins because you're developing them and they're growing and they're learning something. You win as the delegator because it frees you up to do the things you ought to be doing. And the organization wins because uh, the mission is going to be advanced more because somebody who ought to be doing the work is doing it rather than the person who shouldn't be doing the work. So one is the, the and the reason I put that out, even though I've done a number of episodes on delegation is because it continues to come up in my coaching as well. Um, leaders who struggle with delegation. And I find two things, tell me if this has been your experience or, or maybe which one of these might weigh heavier in your coaching uh, relationships. One is the sense of micromanagement of, I, I know how to do this. I can do it better. I'm scared to give it to someone else because they might get it wrong. But the other is, I don't want to delegate this because I enjoy it. This is work I like doing. And so I do it. I don't want to delegate it to someone else. Those are the things that are more difficult to delegate. It's easy to take the work we don't want to do and shift it off to somebody else. But the work that we enjoy doing and like doing that is often hard to let go of too. It's not a sense of micromanagement. It's just a sense of I like doing this work and I don't want to give it up.
1: Well, it's their comfort zone as well.
0: Yeah, that's right.
1: And, and the thing that most leaders don't realize is the message that they're sending to their people when they won't let Mm -hmm. go because when you do decide, I'm going to delegate, I'm going to hand this role, this duty off to someone else, the, the first response to that individual is, wow, they, they trust me, they believe in me, and, and they're going to allow me to do something that they haven't been willing to let go of. And, and when I bring that up, they're like, oh, yeah, I feel really good when my boss gives me something it challenges me. It inspires me. It motivates me. And then I, then I come back with the next question is, so what's the opposite message you're sending when you won't let go. Mm-mm-mm. And that's when I hear the light bulb come on. Oh, well I'm telling them that I don't trust them and I don't believe in. Them.
0: Yeah. They have to say it. And when they say it out loud, it's like, well, when you put it like that, yeah, boy. And then they start going, Oh my gosh, am I doing that to my people? Exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. So good. Yeah, we're sending messages all the time. We don't realize it. It's like Marshall Goldsmith says, you're always on. People are always Absolutely. watching. They're always listening. You're always sending something out, whether you know it or not. Uh even
1: when we're not communicating, we're communicating.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very true. That's good. Uh any any other key concepts in this?
1: Well, um, we have, they have to have a, a clear growth path. They have to understand what's available in front of them either now or potentially in the future. Because sometimes uh, young leaders, uh, middle management, um, they're so focused on their little world today, they can't or don't uh, raise their head up and look towards the horizon of what's coming or what's available or what their future looks like. Mm. And so to communicate a growth path, a career opportunity that could be down the road so that they have some goal in front of them rather than trying to tackle the eight to 10 to 12 hour tasks that they have in front of them today.
0: Here's what I'm noticing about every one of these concepts or these tenets, And I don't know how many more more there are that you're, you're looking to share, but, but so far they're all about the people we're leading. None of this centers on the work or the mission at hand. Now mission is paramount, right? It's why you're in business. There's a reason that the organization is there or that the team is there or whatever, but. Uh, and and of course, you know where I'm going with this. I'm sure our listeners know where, where this is headed is that the mission doesn't happen without the people performing the mission. And so focusing on them, getting this rich soil that you're describing here uh, is what's going to grow the big tree. And the big tree is the mission. And so I love this. Every one of these tenants is about role modeling for your leaders and believing in them and l- allowing them to fail and making sure they see a growth path. None of it is about, oh, we have to, you know, have a really good strategic plan that people can walk around and and, and quote, or, you know, we have to be so, so uh, dogged on the mission and the work in hand. And, and as one of my coaches said one time, keep our heads down and be about the work. None of that is what you're talking about here.
1: Exactly. And I don't remember who said it, but, you know, the the quote was, if you take good care of your people, your people will take good care of the customer or the job mm. or the role mm. or whatever that happens to be for that individual. And so, um, you know, one of the things that I love uh, about John Maxwell is that he's gives a lot of gives us a lot of great quotes or principles that can be transferable and repeatable and one of the things that John talks about is that the people that we're leading are continually asking three questions about the, their leader and the first one is does my leader care about me the second question that they are asking is can I trust you do you have my back will you take care of me Um, And and the third question that our people that we're leading are always asking about us is, can you help me? Can you help me be successful? Can you help me get to the next level? Can you help me? And if we as leaders will stay focused on continually answering those three questions in a positive manner, we're going to grow people around us and we're going to attract quality people. And because people want to be around or on a winning team and a winning team has a winning leader.
0: Mm. So we, we, it it would behoove us to turn those questions on ourselves. Then do, do I care about the people I'm leading? Do I truly care that that's an inventory? I mean, it seems like it should be a given, but if you, if, if we were to really pause honestly and ask ourselves, do I really care about? Might, might not. Do I care about their success as a, a on the mission? But do I care about them as people? Can my people trust me? Have I have I shown that? Have I demonstrated and given them the confidence to trust me? And um, can I help them, or am I helping them? Am I am I advancing them, enriching them? What a great inventory of questions to ask ourselves every day I was coaching. Um, and, and Michael, you may know this individual, um, coaching an, uh, an individual here in South Carolina with, with Jim at LSI. And, um, he asked me, he said, I've got 40 minutes. I've got a 40 minute commute to work one way. And he said, how would you, he asked me as a coach, he said, how would you suggest I use that 40 minutes? Can I maximize that 40 minutes? It's a great question, um, but you know, we're trained to not answer that question, right? <laughs> so, so I said, boy, that, that's really a great question. Um, what if you spent that time asking yourself questions at the beginning and at the end of the day, what would those questions be? And the, and he came up with something similar and, and it took him a little while. He called me in a couple of weeks. He said, I got it, I got it. I've, I've been, I've mean, I've been doing it. I've been doing this on my drive. I've been asking myself these questions they are great. And so I don't remember exactly what they were now it as it's been several years, but he said something like, you know, uh, on the way to work, I asked myself, how will I advance someone today? Not the mission, but how will I advance someone today? And then at the end of the day, he asks, how did I advance someone today? Oh, and he said, I'm doing right. it every day now on my commute. I'm asking those questions, and it's really making me think, and it's, it's giving me a different mindset and attitude when I connect with my people. So it was really cool. I love this. What a, what a great inventory of of questions. Maxwell also talks about that that last one, can you help me? It's one of his levels of leadership, right? The first level being people follow you because they have to, (laughs) you, you sign their check, but then there's a level at which people follow you because you have a track record for what you've done for them.
1: Oh, absolutely. So you, you bring up the John's book, the five levels of leadership. Mm -hmm. And I think it's one of the, it's one of John's best three books. He's written over a hundred. For me, that's one of the the top three. I agree. Uh, And it's, it's very applicable both personally, but also incorporated it in organizationally. And, uh, you, you brought up the fact that in the intro that, uh, I, I do coaching for the John Maxwell company, which is, uh, one of John's entities that he created to, uh, develop and implement leadership development programs for organizations, businesses. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a B2B group that provides leadership development opportunities or or programs for organizations. And so the five levels of leadership is key to that. And, you know, all of us start out as a level one leader, Mm -hmm. all of us. (laughs) And so we get the title, we get the power, we get the authority, And and so there's nothing bad about level one. That's that positional leadership where people follow you because they have to, because you have the title, you have the power and authority. Uh, There's nothing wrong with level one. The, the, The important thing is, is that you don't stay at level one. And move to level two as quickly as possible. And level two is all about the relationships. It's the permission level, Mm -hmm. as John calls it, where people change from following you because they have to to following you because they want to. And the only way you're going to get there is when you prove that you care about your people. And you start building that relationship and helping them understand that you care about them as an individual, not just as some tool that you use to accomplish your goals at work every day.
0: That that's good. I might I might uh, I might uh, tweak one of those a little bit, at least from my perspective, and get your thoughts on it. You said all of us start at level one. And, and I would say that's true in the organizational sense. If you're, if you're talking about management if you're talking about sort of leadership role, um, I, I could also say though, that many people don't start at level one, like people who I think of, uh, I think of people, uh, I mean, like my son who actually doesn't, doesn't aspire to a position, but since he was in, you know, elementary school, he was influential. He, he had leadership sort of leadership practices. People followed him and it wasn't because they had to, it wasn't because he had some position over them. It was, there was just something about influence, which of course is a Maxwell tenant, right? Influence, nothing more, nothing less. That's his definition of leadership. But I think you're right in the organizational sense. um, Particularly when I think about when I, when I got my first CEO job at a local United way, Um, when I got there, there was a default bank of sort of trust and respect because I hadn't, you know, nothing had sort of been proven yet or done. And so I was at level one when I walked in the door because nobody knew me. Um, And so I had to earn the other levels of, of leadership. And one of the things that I know Maxwell says in the book is these are not necessarily linear that you go from level one to level two, and then you go from level two to level three and then on and on actually says you can you can actually live on multiple levels at the same time um, you can have you can have uh, times when uh, you you're actually exercising at a level two or three before you've ever even owned a level one spot and that's what I love about is that's what I love about his levels
1: Well, you're right in that uh, we operate on different levels all the time because we're at different levels with each individual. That was one of the big ahas for me when I read the book. I've been in leadership over 30 years. Surely I'm a level three or a level four. Hopefully one day I'll get to level five. But John's statement in there is you're on a different level with each individual. Someone that you have spent time with. Uh, you've developed a relationship. You've maybe moved it to that production level of level three. And you may be at level four as a people development, developing them into that next le- leader. But the person that just started last week, I'm at level one with because nah, that's they good. don't know me and I don't know them. And, and uh, they're following me simply because I have a position. And so I've got to develop that relationship. And one of, the, one of the big questions in the five levels of leadership workshop is, can I jump from level one to level three? Because they don't want to skip that yeah. building the relationship and caring for their people and all those kind of things. They just want to get to the production level. And my answer during those workshops is yes, but it's only temporary, uh, you can come in, find some low-hanging fruit in an organization, and and move people to a production level pretty easily. But if you don't move back and develop that relationship, and show that you care about them, show that they can trust you, show that you can help them, uh, you will lose that level three leadership opportunity and fall back to a level one.
0: Oh, that's really good. Go ahead and talk about level five since we're. Since we're on it for those that may not know.
1: Well, level five, I call the legacy level and that's something that takes time uh, for you to build because you are now in the organization for a long time and you've created a leadership culture. You've gone through level four, which is the people development, which is a level where leaders are developing leaders and you've got a legacy like, level of leadership where you've built a culture you've built your organization you have uh it's not about what uh, you've done for the people now it's what you've done for the organization from a long term vision standpoint you've created this uh, organization of leaders developing leaders and moving forward uh, some examples of level five leadership obviously i consider john maxwell a level five leader um, I think that um, Truett Cathy with Chick-fil-A was a level five leader. Uh, Sam Walton probably could, could fall into that level five leader because he, he's left a legacy that is still ongoing, not only with Walmart, but also with all the, um, the charitable giving and the things that he's, he's created because of his lifetime of leadership.
0: Yeah, that's really good. I also think of someone like Frances Hesselbein, you know, with, with her, with the Girl Scout fame. um, Oh, absolutely. That leadership. Yeah. I love, I like your word legacy on that. I think Maxwell calls it the personhood level. Um, You know, people, people follow you because of the person that you are and, and have become like you stand, you represent something now you represent that, that culture that you're talking about. And um, I, I love that because I like your term legacy on top of that, because it goes beyond, it transcends you at that point, <laughs> it transcends you, it transcends the org. It's, it's just a bigger, a bigger piece of it now.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And and you don't do that over a year or two. That right. takes, that takes um, decades, sometimes even a lifetime.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's right. And this is good. Um, I want to, I want to hit on a word with you peak harvest. I want to hit on the word peak. And, uh, I apologize if I take this in a direction that it's not intended to go when you titled the company, but um, when I think of the word peak, uh, often the word that comes to my mind is peak performance. We've heard that term a lot and it's used in exactly. sports a lot, peak performance. Uh, I, I remember the Danica Patrick commercials for, I think it's Pennzoil. And she says, when you peak, you win. And I, and that's peak performance. But here's what I, I think about when I think about peak performance is that it's not always at peak. There are cycles that which is a harvest, right? That's a site. You're not always harvesting. So when I think peak, I think peak performance and a leaders um, challenge of managing the life cycles and the flow and the momentum. And was it Marty Linsky at Harvard uh, defined leadership as disappointing your own people at a rate they can absorb you know, how, how fast can we go? Um, and so, uh, just, I'm interested in the term peak harvest. You, you may mean just, you know, the biggest harvest we can get, but talk about that term a little bit peak harvest relating it to leadership and and how that's relevant.
1: Well, you're not going to get that peak harvest of leadership without cultivating the soil and, you know, um i'm not a farmer but that farming analogy where um farmers have to rotate the soil they they have to give it a rest they have to there's times where they don't use a particular plot of the farm while they let that soil regenerate Mm -hmm. and to your point uh we're not always going to be at peak But we need to be cultivating, preparing that soil all the time because, let's face it, um, our people are always growing. And a lot of times leaders are reserved about growing leaders because they're afraid they're going to replace them. And so they don't invest in their people because of fear of losing their own job. And what what I try to help those leaders understand is if you're a leader that's growing leaders, you will always have a job because there's not an organization out there that doesn't and is not looking for people, uh, leaders that can grow leaders. And so when they get that mindset to the point where, okay, this person that you're investing in is only going to push you up the organization first of all, But don't just think about it internally. There's nothing wrong with growing and investing in someone and they leave and go somewhere else and take those leadership principles and make a better organization somewhere else. Because what I want to do is get at the end of my career and look back and see all the different people that I've had a hand in. And some small way invested in them to help them be successful and impact an organization, impact their family, impact a community, impact whatever it happens to be. And and so you have to get that global perspective sometimes with a leader to get them to invest and understand that it's not just about you.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, you said that phrase at the very beginning of the show, grow leaders who grow leaders. Uh, when we're in organizational leadership and, you know, I spend, um, most of, most of the people I work with are in the nonprofit sector. Right. And, uh, and this podcast is about leadership through a social sector lens in the end. Uh, and maybe this, I, I guess this is the same in business too. In the nonprofit sector, we, it is really difficult to keep this in mind. The idea of as a leader, my, my job is to grow more leaders because we have a mission Again, I'm going to come back to mission here. We have a mission that we're accountable for achieving. We are stewards of the community ownership of this organization. The IRS has given us a break because they take our word that we're doing something meaningful and that we have some kind of measurement for it. And so I find that a lot of the leaders in the sector have difficulty moving beyond management of the, of the mission and management of the people toward accomplishing the mission, which is different than leadership of the people toward accomplishing the mission. And I know that's an age old conversation about the difference between management and leadership, but it is it. I find it very difficult for um, a lot of the leaders I see and coach to get to that mindset where leadership is the work, not it's a tool I might use <laughs> To, you know, to get things done, but leadership as the CEO, now my job is to lead. That is the work. And that's a hard mindset to grab when you've got so many things to say grace over and get accomplished. How do you Absolutely. overcome that?
1: Well, I, you know, I love what Peter Drucker says that you manage things and you lead people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And
1: so you manage inventory, you manage assets, you manage equipment, but you lead people.
0: Mm, that's, that's great. So with the word people, let me, let me ask this question. We've hit on this a lot, but you and I have talked in the past about how important the people skills are in leadership. Um, and we've also lamented the fact that a lot of leaders are really deficient in that area. And maybe it's this mindset of managing things sometimes it's the, it's just the, what, what do they call them? You know, the, the brilliant jerks or the brilliant a-holes as, uh, as I've heard said, you know, Netflix has a rule in their company, no brilliant (laughs) a-holes like, you know, we, we talk about these one amazing innovative serial entrepreneurs that, you know, come these legends, but they're jerks to work for, you know, they're just complete. They just don't respect people. Um, uh, but this is, so people skills are, are really the number one thing in leadership. And yet so many leaders lack the people skills. Why do you think that is? I mean, is it, 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 I've actually seen research where it's, it's not because there aren't a bunch of leadership development training seminars and programs in their company. You know, that's not why, what's, what is it? And it may come back to your, your culture answer, but. Why is it so lacking when it's the skill that leaders need the most?
1: Well, from a business perspective, uh, especially the Fortune 500s, the organizations that rely on Wall Street to generate um, you know, money so that they can expand and grow and all those type things. And so Wall Street judges them purely on uh, numbers and so they're squeezed every day to hit numbers and that doesn't equate to investing in people and wall street's looking for a report card every 90 days Mm -hmm. um, which is short term and uh, people development's a long-term investment and and yet uh, you can see the return on investment very quickly Uh, one one of my largest customers um, has seen a dramatic drop in turnover in their organization because of the leadership development program that we've implemented and teaching the people about caring for their people and growing and developing their people. So people want to stay, you know, the old saying is people go to work for an organization, but they quit a boss Mm-hmm. And so if we can get that boss to be a better leader, then your your turnover of employees reduces and turnover's tremendously expensive for organizations. It costs a lot of money to recruit, hire, train, and then do it all over again, 90 days, 60 days, a year later. It's just a tremendous investment in people that they see the dollars But the return on investment for our leadership development program reduces that turnover and and pays for itself long term.
0: All right. I'm going to give you a, a, a quick view into my soul a little bit when it comes to the word boss. To me, we can start by getting rid of that word. Right. Like I, 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 there's something about the word that, bugs. I'm, I'm, I understand hierarchies and authorities and decision-making and you know, you've, you've got a, you're assigned a certain level of accountability and you're, you are managing teams or things or whatever. Um, but the concept of the word boss, I, I remember when, when people would introduce me, uh, out in the community when I was with United Way, people would say, Oh, this is, this is my boss, Patrick. And he, and i would just cringe. I'm like, Oh, I, I that just kills me for you to call me that. And it's not, it's, I don't, I don't mean to sound, you know, like this, this um, I'm this virtuous paragon of morality here. It's just that it's, to me, it sends a different message than one that I really want to send, which is we are a team. Um, and a boss to me is a manager. Right. you know I and not a leader um right. and so and you might have just actually hit on it actually you, with that word you might have actually hit on why the people skills might be missing is because either people see their leaders as their boss or their boss sees themselves as a boss <laughs> <And they're laughs> if that operating makes at sense. level 1 yeah exactly, exactly. there you go Yep. Yeah, there's the connection they're operating at level 1 now that's good um if you if you were to say there's one people skill above all the others and there's probably not but what's the one maybe that you find maybe most lacking most challenging that has the greatest impact in organizations which which people skill for a leader might that be from your perspective
1: well i think i think there's a reservation um with leaders in organizations, uh, maybe they've been taught this, uh, they've heard it that you can't get too close to your people mm-hmm. because then it's hard for you to hold them accountable. Right.
0: Arms length, state an arms length. Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: And so I, I think the, the biggest transformation, the biggest challenge is for leaders to take the time to truly get to know the people that they're leading and care about them from a, a, a personal standpoint. Mm. And that takes time. And it, and you know, time is that thing that we're all squeezed with in that, you know, it's one of the most common phrases in the human language is I, I don't have enough time. Mm. <laughs> I didn't have time to do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. I, I don't have the time And so, again, that reverts back to if you can get leaders delegating tasks that someone else could or should be doing. And just recently read a book summary and the name of the book escapes me at the moment. But the author, she was talking about leaders have anchors and they have boomerangs. An anchor is that task that You, someone else could or should be doing, and that's an anchor that holds that leader back. It takes away time. It takes away focus. And then boomerangs are those tasks that a leader has given away, but for whatever reason, it came back to them or they took it back because they didn't like the way that person was doing it or they didn't do it well enough or whatever it happens to be. So leaders have anchors and boomerangs.
0: That reminds me of an article. I want, I think it was in the 1960s, maybe the seventies. It's been a while, but in Harvard business review, an article that, that, um, got a lot of fame called who has the monkey. Oh yes. yeah. And I think I, I don't, I don't remember who introduced that to me, but I I think it was Jim. I think it was Jim Smith. Yeah. But who I has the Jim monkey? And and so we're constantly sort of um playing this back and forth game is on whose back is the monkey. And as a leader when you've got your people coming to you for all the answers, you're taking on those monkeys. Absolutely. And, and, uh, and the leader
1: goes home with a tribe of monkeys and their people go home monkey free.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, man, uh, this is, this is so good, Michael. This is rich. I knew it would be. Um, so one of the questions I ask all the people on the show, cause just, I'm interested. I always like to hear the sort of stories of how someone came to their bent on leadership, but who would you say are one or two of the leaders in your early life or career that have shaped your view of leadership today?
1: Great question. Uh, the first person that always comes to mind is my dad. Um, he um and the two men that i that i think of that really shaped and and molded me uh as to who i am today would be first of all my dad and they're both complete opposites my dad was an introvert but he loved teaching uh, and he was full of wisdom and uh, his greatest skill was that he could take complex and turn it into simple and and i loved that about my dad no matter you know, I'd roll through decisions or concerns or questions that I'd roll around in my head and and I'd bring them to him and he could just take all that complexity and turn it into something really simple. Mm. Uh, and so I love that about it, uh, about him. And so he certainly was the first impact in my life of, of somebody that was steady, stable uh, and provided um, a great leadership Uh, role model for me. And, and the second one was my mentor at Lowe's um, had just a tremendous uh, impact. And yet he led completely different. He was very relational, very outgoing. I couldn't go anywhere uh, with him out in public that he didn't see somebody that he knew um, was just very uh, charismatic from a personality standpoint. And he cared about his people and many times I wanted to fire somebody and he would always circle me back and say, all right, well, let's 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 find out why this person's acting this way. Let's find out what's going on with them personally to see if we can help them and turn their their career around. And, and so uh, still to this day is is I call him several times. He's in his 80s now. And just love the man uh, who had really helped me at Lowe's and, and helped me be successful at Lowe's. Oh,
0: I love that. So one, one helped you simplify the complex. The other one slowed you down to dig deeper and get more patient in terms of your people. That's, and I can, I can, uh, I can see and hear both of those sentiments in your leadership philosophy as you, as you coach and, and lead today. I think that's awesome. Uh L- last question, your, your last chance to kind of lay on us your, your number one sort of principle of leadership, Michael, I think we may have heard it uh, certainly thematically throughout this show, which has been amazing. But if you had uh, you know, if the, if the world gave you a megaphone to speak to all the leaders in the globe at one time, and they were giving you, you know, 15 to 20 seconds to say something to them, what's your number one piece of advice or, or admonishment or, or whatever for leaders today?
1: Well, the first thing is that never stop investing in yourself. If, if you stop growing, there will come a day when you can no longer grow those that you're leading Mm. and you can't pour out of an empty bucket. So you've got to take care of yourself. You've got to invest in yourself, whether through, uh, books, uh, conferences, coaching, Whatever it happens to be, you've got to continue to invest in yourself so that you can move forward so you can bring your people and your organization forward.
0: That's good. We have to be at our best because uh, oftentimes we are that template or that role model or we're the ones that are having to believe in others and and, and test others and give them freedom to fail and all those things. We, we have to be at our best because those, you know, Michael, people call these soft skills. That That's another term that's always bugged me. Because it makes it sound like, ah, you know, fluffy. These are the kind of, these are the side things that are nice to have. You know, you you, you need to be good at mission and management and focus and vision and work. Uh, But I think these are the real skills that you're talking about here today in leadership. I really do. Uh, This has been rich, man. We're going to have to do this again. You're going to have to be one of my repeat guests because this is just gym after gym after gym. Uh, So, folks, you know why we brought him on. If you want to get a hold of Michael and his company uh, to bring him into your company to help your team create this this fertile soil of leadership best place to go is peakharvestcoaching.com p e a k peakharvestcoaching.com and uh, check Michael out there you can you can reach out to him he's one of the best of the best at uh, at LSI he is one that we turn to a lot to uh lead coaches who are looking to become certified coaches into that next level and he sort of orients them to that and gets them that so he lives this uh leaders growing leaders concept michael thanks a ton man for coming on
1: thank you very much patrick
0: all right folks we'll see you next time lead on